Mexico has something for everyone. Whether you want to swim in the warm Caribbean, explore a bustling outdoor market, or savor made-to-order street tacos in a historic plaza. If you've been dreaming about a vacation to Mexico, then you're going to love this week's episode. But first, I'd like to introduce you to Angie Orth. Starting today, she'll be leading your podcast travel journeys here on Traveling with AAA. Angie is a Jacksonville, Florida native, a PR pro, and an extensive world traveler. Her blog, Angie Away, has been going strong since 2006. So welcome aboard, Angie. Over to you. Thank you so much, Mary. It is a pleasure to be hosting this show. I am so excited to share today's episode about Mexico with you. We've got two resident experts here to tell you everything you want to know about planning your vacation to the Yucatan Peninsula, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico City, and beyond. Tim Leffel lives in Guanajuato and is the editor of the website Perceptive Travel. If you've already devoured the new issue of AAA Explorer, then you've read his travel tips for Puerto Vallarta and the cenotes of the Yucatan Peninsula. Lydia Carey is a freelance writer based in Mexico City. For all you foodies out there, you'll appreciate her expertise in finding the best street food and unraveling the mysteries of Mezcal. So grab your flip-flops and your floppy hat. Vamos a Mexico. So let's start with Lydia. Can you describe what makes where you live so special? What is it about Mexico City that drew you there? I guess I would say the energy of the place. I mean, it's 28 million strong in the metropolitan area here. So there's a lot of people and a lot of noise and a lot of hustle and bustle and a lot of color and a lot of street life. And that's particularly something I really love. So can you tell us about the culture and the pace of life? And Mexico City is a little bit of everything. It's this huge, sophisticated metropolitan city, but it's also got these moments where you feel like you've gone back in time. People have an attitude about life that's a little bit less tied to their schedules and their to-do list. No one would ever meet you in the street and tell you they were too busy to talk to you. That's a beautiful thing to have in such a busy city. Now, Tim, you're in a much smaller city. Tell us about life in Guanajuato. So it's a UNESCO World Heritage historic city, Spanish colonial city with buildings that are older than the USA. And so that attracts me, first of all. And it's a very pedestrian friendly place. We don't own a car there and don't need one. For Mexicans, it's a very important city because it's where the revolution started and where they tried to start freeing themselves from the Spanish overlords, let's say. So that's where the first battle was. It's not very popular with American tourists, which is kind of nice in a way. Most of the tourists are Mexican, so it still retains a very Mexican feel and prices are quite reasonable and the food is not geared to tourists. There's so much to Mexico, right? And if you kind of just stick to the tourist trail, you miss a lot of what makes it special. I mean, these two places have completely different vibes and they're both worth visiting. So Lydia, let me ask you. So many people are going to Mexico City these days, but it's like you said, it's enormous and it's not a place that you can see in just one day. So where does somebody start? How does somebody eat well on their first day in Mexico City? Where do they go? There's a handful of neighborhoods, which are probably the most popular, the most tourist friendly. 
relatively safe and easy to get around walking. So a lot of people do those central neighborhoods, Roma, Condesa, Polanco, downtown, Centro Historico, which I think is a great way to start. If you've never been to Mexico City, it's a great way to sort of get a feel for the city. And those neighborhoods are really walkable. They should go to the Anthropology Museum because it's up there with the ones in Cairo and London and other great museums around the world, except I think it's five bucks or something like that to get in. I try to encourage people when they're coming to visit that they give themselves space for spontaneity and space to take time and sit in a park and people watch and walk around the neighborhood because it's really important to sort of ground yourself for a minute or a half an hour or an hour in a park or sitting outside a cafe and just take the time to enjoy the place where you are because you're not always there. What is the unmissable thing to eat in Mexico City? Tacos and street food are really my number one. There's nothing better than street food in Mexico City. Nothing for me. What's your favorite street food taco? One of my favorites is suadero, which is a like classic chilango. Chilango is like what they use to describe everything Mexico City. The suadero is like a classic chilango taco. It's a very tough cut of beef that's then slow cooked in oil and fat and comes out tender and delicious and amazing. It's super, super good. The Al Pastor is a, another really classic Mexico City taco. That's the one that you'll see on the spit that's kind of marinated in this, this bright red sauce. Uh, that's pork. It's delicious as well. Tim, what is your favorite Mexican food? I especially love going out for Mexican breakfast because they're hearty and spicy and crunchy and interesting and it's going to be a good meal. And so I really enjoy eating those everywhere. And another kind of street food that will be look kind of familiar to Americans or Canadians is a torta, which is basically just a sub sandwich, but it's made on, you know, these Mexican rolls, but they put way more stuff in it in Mexico. And so it's much more of a taste sensation. We are obviously going to need something to wash down all of this delicious street food. So let's talk about one of Mexico's most trending drinks, mezcal. Lydia, where does this smoky spirit come from? Mezcal is a traditional drink that's made from agave hearts. They're cooked in an underground pit, and that's part of the reason why it has that smoky flavor. But what's important for people to understand that mezcal isn't just smoky. You can get mezcal that's more herbal. You can get mezcal that's grassier. It just sort of depends on all kinds of things, how they make it, where it's made, the soil that the plants are grown in. And that's part of the joy of it is that every year and every batch is going to be different and that you might never taste the same thing again. I mean, like two thirds of the states of the country make mezcal. A lot of these small producers, they're not mass producing. So you travel out to these little tiny places that people have these little family distilleries and you're there with like the son and the father and the grandfather, sometimes the sister and the mother and, you know, and, and everybody's making mezcal and you're, you're tasting it with the people whose hands have prepared it for you. I mean, it, it's an incredible experience. I really highly recommend it to anyone. A lot of times you just bring your empty Pepsi bottle and they fill it up for you, which is fantastic. Okay. So note to listeners, don't forget to bring your empty bottles when visiting mezcal producers. So there's also this lesser known drink that's making a comeback. Tim, can you tell us about pulque? 
Yeah, this is one of those stories about something that almost went extinct and then came back. But pulque is also made from a magui plant, but it's not harvested and roasted the way the agave hearts are for mezcal or tequila. Basically, it's like a liquid that comes out of the middle once they cut it, and it just keeps flowing and flowing until it's tapped out, basically. This has turned into a beverage that doesn't take very long to ferment, just a few days, and then you drink it. This was the working man's drink for a long time until basically Mexican beer companies started getting bigger and consolidating, and they basically went on a campaign to push pulque out of the market, and it sort of worked. And the reason they did that is because it was a very local product, and it was not something you could mass market and mass distribute. So... It kind of went underground and just like fell out of favor for a long time, but now it's becoming cool again. I think for a long time it was considered like the poor man's drink and it was sort of tossed to the side and now it's really hip. Tim, I know you recently wrote for AAA about the Yucatan. So I want to switch gears and head in that direction and hear a little bit about Cancun and Tulum and what is drawing people there. What keeps people coming back? Well, I think a big part of it is, is it's so easy to get to those places. I mean, from almost anywhere in the USA or Canada, you might even have a direct flight. So it's super easy, especially if it's the middle of January and you're really sick of the cold weather. It's easy to just hop on a plane and be in Cancun a few hours later. What's it like visiting these beachside destinations? If you want a busy place with lots of action, you can stay in Cancun itself or Tulum itself. If you want something more mellow, there's lots of places to stay along that Riviera Maya that's um, not so busy. Tulum's more of a young party crowd, and it's quite pricey. Uh, There's a lot of people that come straight from New York City with their very high earnings, (laughs) and they're ready to spend. (laughs) But it's a beautiful beach there, and it's a fun scene, and... But yeah, all along that coast, you can't go wrong in terms of finding good food and having good service. And it's much easier to speak English than anywhere else in Mexico. So people that don't know any Spanish, they'll have an easy time. So tell me a little bit about the cenotes and why would a person want to leave their resort to go check those out? Well, so these are underground lakes, underground rivers. There are literally hundreds of cenotes all over the peninsula, and they extend all the way across. So there are some near Cancun and the Riviera Maya and Tulum that you can visit. I'd say probably the biggest concentration of the ones that are easy to get to for tourists are around um, Valladolid, which is close to Chichen Itza. It's a small city, beautiful place to visit on its own. But there's a lot of cenotes there that you can visit where you can go swimming. Some of them have a rope swing. <laughs> One of them even has a restaurant right next to it looking down at the cenote. Is this a good spot to see the Mayan ruins? Yeah, they're all over the peninsula as well. The ones that that get mobbed tend to be Tulum and Chichen Itza because that's where all the excursions go from Cancun. But there's plenty of others inland from there that aren't nearly as crowded. And even Uxmal, which is pretty well known, it's west of Merida, even there, unless you're going on a school holiday or something, it's it's still not all that crowded. You maybe see one or two tour buses in the parking lot and the rest of the people are driving there. And then, you know, you can go down levels from there like Ekbalam, which is also outside of Valladolid. And then there's a whole Mayan route between Merida and Campeche where there's three or four of them you can visit right in a row. So if people are into that, there's plenty of options and sometimes you'll have it almost completely to yourself. 
And some of them have places to stay nearby, so you can get there right when it opens or come back in the evening. Like Ushmal is open at night. They have a light show. And when I went there, I think there were a dozen people. So do you think it's better to book a tour or can you see cenotes and ruins independently? What do you think is better for a first-time visitor? Well, if you don't know the area well, a tour can make a lot of sense because they know where everything is and, and which ones are open to the public and that kind of thing. And it's flat as a pancake in the Yucatan, so there's not a lot of landmarks to look for. It's kind of easy to get lost. <laughs> Tim, you recently wrote about Puerto Vallarta for AAA Explorer and Westways. So let's talk about that for a moment. How does it compare to, say, the Cancun vibe? The Puerto Vallarta itself is a bustling, fun place, and it feels like more of a a city than Cancun does because it was not purpose-built. It's been there for a while. It was a port. It's not super historic, but at least, you know, it has a real feel of an established place, and it's a lot more walkable. I mean, you could go to Puerto Vallarta on vacation and never rent a car or have to worry about a shuttle, whereas it's kind of hard to do in most of the Riviera Maya. And it's, you know, the leading gay destination in Mexico. It's got a great nightlife scene. It's got great beach clubs, but it doesn't feel as jam-packed as Tulum does (laughs) for those beach clubs and restaurants and everything. And uh, it's got a really nice malecon. You can walk down with all these uh, Mexican artists' statues on it. It's just a nice, pleasant place to spend some time with good food and good bars and plenty of things to do. And then if you do want to go on an excursion, it's easy to get out of there and go on a boat or drive south or north or whatever. And maybe, Lydia, you could talk about one of those places you took a boat to. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to add that because I like Puerto Vallarta a lot and I've been there quite a few times. There's like the hotel zone in the city and then in the south of that, there is, I think it's called Tomatlan. It's this little tiny town where you can take boat ferries out all along the coast because the little tiny coastal villages are really difficult to get to. Some of them are inaccessible by car and you have to take a boat. So you can take a boat ferry. It's, I don't know, five or six bucks and they will drop you anywhere along the coast to any of these little towns. But also there's a bunch of little tiny virgin beaches where no one's at and they'll drop you wherever you want, which is fantastic. I mean, it's also like the area's school bus. So like kids are on it and people are on it and gas tanks are on it. I mean, there's like, there's all kinds of things being transported to these places because the only way to get to them is on the water. There's so many choices. And if you go north, a lot of people have probably heard of Sayulita. There's another town called San Pancho. There's this luxury development called Punta Mita that's full of high-end villas, and there's a Four Seasons and a St. Regis there, if that's your thing. There's more going up all the time north of there. There's a one and only now that's opened way north of Puerto Vallarta, but more are coming in Auberge and some other resorts. So if you're worried that you won't find a nice place to stay, (laughs) that's not an issue. But you can do it on a budget as well, and there's plenty of places to choose from. Or you can get a middle-of-the-road, all-inclusive, you know, come down with the family and send them off to the kids club and have fun. And on the West Coast, you don't have to worry about the Saragossa seaweed invading your vacation like you do in Tulum and Cancun. On the West Coast, you don't get it. So that's something. It's also more dramatic, too. I like the West Coast better because it's beautiful water, you know, on the Gulf side. But I like that drama that you have cliffs and mountains and big waves coming in. And it's more dramatic than the super flat golf area where the water's pretty, but there's not much else to look at. 
there's a lot of like great surf spots that people come down and go surfing on the West Coast too. So I think that drew a lot of people historically to that side of the country. That's a great reason to go visit, as if you haven't told us enough reasons. But here's another one. I want to talk about cultural festivals. A lot of people have been adding these cultural festivals onto their itineraries, and that's a good reason to go, and a good way to figure out when you want to go. So tell us a little bit. Tim, maybe we'll start with you about some of the festivals people are traveling for. The one we all know about is Dia de los Muertos, because, you know, if you're a fan of Coco, the movie, which of course we all are, that's one that's really obvious and popular. But there are other ones that people are traveling for. Can you tell us about them? Dia de los Muertos is the big one. And the movie actually made it a lot more popular with people that didn't used to come to Mexico, it seems like. The main places to go, I would say the best places to go, are where I live in Guanajuato, Oaxaca that we talked about, Pátzcuaro, which is near Morelia, south of here in another state, and Mexico City. Those are probably the best places. If you could be in Mexico at that time, it's definitely interesting. Everybody, you know, paints their face and gets all dressed up in the costumes. But it's also a very serious time. And it's when people go to the cemetery and think about their ancestors and sort of party with them and talk about them and have their memories. So it's also solemn in that sense. But then you walk out of the cemetery and there'll be like 50 food vendors and people selling toys and stuff, you know. So it's always that weird Mexican mix, you know, between the uh, the sacred and the not-so-sacred. The Galagetza Festival in Oaxaca, which is a great music and culture festival. And if there's any way to be there at that time of year, it's a great experience because the main event is this dancing performance on stage where all these villagers come from different villages and they put on their village dance with the full costumes and a live band and everything. And then they throw stuff out into the audience that's from their town, you know, like snacks or <laughs> bread or whatever that they make in their area. So it's a really fun thing. But then there's concerts, you know, before and after. And then they have these mini festivals around town, like there will be a mole festival, there will be a mezcal festival, there will be a artisan festival. So all this stuff's going on at the same time. So it's just a, a great time to be there. And I think it's in July. And then the other one we featured was the Cervantino Festival in my city of Guanajuato. It's the largest festival in Latin America for music and arts. And that's because it's three weeks long. <laughs> so it's quite a marathon daily nightly performances for almost three weeks and it's all kinds of music and dance and performances and a lot of the events are free and then some of the big name ones you have to pay for and it's in a whole bunch of different venues and then again there's all kinds of stuff going on around it at the same time but it's a lot of fun and there's usually a host guest country and then a guest state. So, for instance, maybe Norway or Korea or Japan will be the, the guest country. So there will be a, a lot of performers from there. And then there will be a guest state from Mexico. So they'll have more performers from there. But then there's a lot of general ones, you know, people coming from France or Canada or Africa or South America. It's just a whole mixed bag of world music and Mexican music and classical music and all kinds of things. Another thing that I think is becoming more and more of a big deal in Mexico City is the Sonamaco, which is the it's a huge contemporary art festival that happens every year in February. And it's really excellent. There's like a main location where you can go and you can 
mix and mingle with artists and you can see people's work, but then they also have gallery openings and showings all over the city and there's other types of art events. I mean, on top of that, there's hundreds, probably thousands of religious festivals and patriotic festivals and things where the town is celebrating their anniversary. I mean, there's, it seems like there's always something going on here. I don't know about everybody else, but I am very excited about my next trip to Mexico. You both shared so much good information with us, and I love that it's all coming from a local perspective since you both lived in Mexico for so long. So before we wrap up today, what other advice do you have for people who are planning a trip south of the border? I try to encourage people when they come, you know, be good guests, be good visitors, learn a little bit of Spanish, don't try to pay people in, in dollars, talk to locals, Get in touch with local people who are living in the place where you want to travel to and and see if they have any suggestions for you. You guys are expats in Mexico. So I'm sure you hear a lot that folks find Mexico to be maybe dangerous or a controversial destination. What do you recommend to people who want to visit, but maybe are a little bit nervous about what they've seen on the news? I would say Mexico City is a big city. So it has big city crime. Probably the most common thing that happens to tourists is they get pickpocketed. I would say be smart. Be smart when you're traveling. Know where you are. Know where your things are. Don't carry around a bunch of cash. Don't carry around your phone in your back pocket without paying any attention to what you're doing. At the same time, I would say that people should be less paranoid probably than U.S. media leads them to be. My wife and I have lived in Mexico on and off since 2010 or 11 and never had the slightest thing happen to us. My daughter went to school in Mexico. I know a few people that have had some minor issues like being mugged or something, but it was normally like three in the morning walking home drunk, <laughs> you know, something um, that probably wasn't too smart to do anywhere. You're going to be okay if you're just being sensible and leading your life in a way that's not kind of uh, asking for trouble. Mexico City is the heart, the economic heart, the cultural heart of the country. And so there's a lot of work put into keeping it as safe as possible. Thank you so much for your insight, Tim Leffel and Lydia Carey. Thank you for being here today. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us. If you're planning a trip, be sure to connect with a AAA travel advisor. Check out AAA.com forward slash travel or visit your local branch. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. I'm Angie Orth. Thank you for traveling with AAA.